welcome to a brand new series of Wild Endeavors. While this adventure is new to our listeners, it is actually a continuation of a long-running game. At the point that we started recording, we had already spent about two years on this endeavor. In this episode, we're going to briefly go over the story so far. This prologue is not a necessity to enjoying the series as it unfolds from episode one, so go ahead and jump right into the first chapter if you'd like. This will be here whenever you want to flesh things out or to connect some more of the dots for you. In the coming weeks, we'll be releasing episodes detailing each individual character's backstory, as well as their version of events up to this point. So whether this is your first time in the prologue, or if you're coming back to us from the future, we're glad that you're joining us for the story of the Wayward Sons. Before the beginning, there was the life song. Like cleansing waves, it flowed through the torrents of endless dreams and infinite time. From the life song, three goddesses emerged. They coaxed and guided the perpetual song into new arrangements, a reality all their own. From the life song, they drew forth all manner of beings, creatures great and small, mortal and fey, demigods and the august. At the center of their new creation was a realm, a world many would call home, a world they called Opus. The goddesses, their work complete, retreated beyond the life song to rest and watch their creation. Over time, the goddesses were forgotten. New godlike beings arose, and Opus shifted, changed, and grew. Throughout the millennia, druids protected the places where the life song flowed into Opus. They protected the source of life itself. In times of great need, these druids would call out to the life song, and it would produce tools, known as crucius, or guardians, known as gash. Both would return to the life song when the danger had passed. But in the early ages, such danger was rare, and Opus flourished. Until its prosperity drew the attention of beings from beyond the dark between stars. In the year 2349 of the Age of Xerkos, zealots of a slumbering elder god sought to wake their messiah and bring about the end of the dream that is Opus. In the land of Arya, they began to open portals to realities their minds could not fathom. From these grotesque spaces came aberrations, servants of the Great Devourer. Across the land, the mortals were slaughtered and fell back. Slaughtered again and fell back again. Amid the carnage, ten champions arose. Heroes like Arya had never seen stood up to push back against the Devourer's forces. They provided some hope in a land where many had lost it. And yet, the best they could do was to slow the Horde, 
to give people a chance to abandon their homes before the onslaught. In the darkest hour, the champions took from the life song the means to create their own Crucius. They made weapons of incredible power, power far beyond what mortals are meant to wield. With these weapons in hand, the champions drove back the creatures of the Devourer's Horde. Finally, in a battle atop Mount Hyrith, the champions made a final stand. With a blow so mighty that it split the mountain in two, the last herald of the Devourer was destroyed. Arya and all of Opus was saved. But the cost was high. The legendary Crucius required too much of the life song and wrought havoc on the land as much as on the enemies of Opus. During what would become known as the War of the Champions, the Crucius broke Arya time and time again. Inland seas boiled and burned away. Ancient forests shattered. Swaths of land were scattered into island chains. A hundred miles of coast were seared to glass. Mighty cliffs sundered, bringing the wrath of the sea to ravage rolling plains. In some ways, those wounds were not the worst. Entire nations had vanished the devourer's aberrations. Entire cultures had been lost. It would take centuries before hope returned to Arya. It would take centuries more for the Dark Ages to pass and for life to again begin to flourish across Arya. However, it would be much longer before the people of Arya learned the true extent of their loss. More than 3,200 years after the War of the Champions, our group met during training with the Cerulean Sons. The Ceruleans are a mercenary group looking to gain increased legitimacy by expanding into roles including arbitration, trade and commerce, exploration, security, and consultancy. Together, the five of us set out on a final test to prove we were worthy of becoming Seekers, effectively independent contractors with the Ceruleans. In time, we become known as the Wayward Sons. But for now, we were known as... The Dwarven Barbarian, Therina Thunderhelm. The Human Cleric, Elman Corster. The Elven Fighter, Aramil Galadinel. The Elven Rogue, Theron Nilo. And me, the Gnomish Rogue, Malkin Kessel. Our test to be named Seekers took us to the Tomb of the Elder King. In the long-forgotten catacombs, we were to retrieve a treasure... We made our way through the traps and a pack of gnolls, only to be ambushed when we left the tomb. With treasure in hand, including some potentially magical artifacts, we emerged from the tomb and found ourselves surrounded and overwhelmingly outnumbered by a group of bandits. We surrendered the loot to the bandit leader, Dakin Blackblade, in exchange for our lives. We regrouped and sought the help from the local forest tribe. With the aid of the fraud-like people known as the Anaris, we were able to recover the treasure and kill most of the bandits, but not before Dakin could escape. We return to Beacon's End, the home of the Cerulean Sons, to take the mantle of Seeker. As Seekers, we could choose our own contracts on behalf of the Cerulean Sons. Our first action as the Seekers? Our first action as Seekers was to attempt a search and rescue mission for the Cerulean's head arcanist, Lore Altheria. 
Our target was dead long before we arrived, but we returned to Lore with a magical amulet she was also looking for. Back at the tower, we learned a large contingent of Ceruleans were preparing to travel west to aid the dwarves of Valorhold and people of the Freeholds in a fight against an invasion of orcs. Amid our sorties on the front lines of the war, we discovered Dakin and his so-called Grimshaw bandits had also traveled west in an attempt to recover a magic hammer being wielded by the orc warlord. After defeating Kar Dragash, the warlord who had killed Elemin's family, we were again ambushed by Dakin and his thugs. When we made an impressive escape from his trap, Dakin fled empty-handed. The magic hammer Dakin was after turned out to be the legendary Crucius, more commonly known as Baharoth, the Worldbreaker. Known for its role in shattering Mount Hyreth, the hammer was last wielded by de facto leader of the Ten Champions, Targar Thunderfist, during the war against the Devourer. And now, our very own Thorina took up the Worldbreaker. In light of the now numerous attacks by the Grimshaw against the Cerulean Sons, we're tasked with tracking down the bandits, determining why they are hunting certain magical artifacts, and ensuring that they can no longer threaten us. Before setting out, we learned the hard way that Elwyn had contracted lycanthropy during the war. In investigating possible cures, we found our way to an abandoned tower dedicated to the goddess of the moon. Followers of the moon goddess embrace lycanthropy as a tool of goodness against the beast lord and his savage, bloodthirsty followers. In the upper floors of the tower, Aramil disappeared, only to reappear without knowledge of where he had been. Elemon lost control of the beast inside him and almost killed me. We confronted some of the beast lord's minions. We interrupted a summoning ritual and left a creature stuck between dimensions to die. And eventually, we found a cure for Elemon. We then returned to the Ceruleans to discover our unorthodox methods during the war and our hasty retreat from the Victory Feast had earned us the nickname the Wayward Sons. Back at the Cerulean Tower, I received a cryptic note suggesting a venture to Arthurmore. Given we also had a lead to investigate Grimshaw and Arthurmore, I convinced the party to start our search there. Once in the city, I inadvertently reconnected with members of the Thieves Guild I used to belong to. And, by extension, I reconnected with my long-lost sister, Kara Nilo, who was now an assassin in the Thieves' Guild. It turned out my sister intended to kill Duke Allard, who was also the contact we thought had information about Dakin and the Grimshaw. We agreed to look the other way while Kara killed the Duke. In exchange, Kara would help us find information about where the Grimshaw might be. When the Duke was killed, the city erupted into chaos. In the fiery aftermath of the Duke's death, my old Thieves' Guild warned us to never return to Arthurmore, and we had ourselves smuggled out of the city. Listeners who have already enjoyed the Shadows campaign will remember that more of the aftermath of this is laid out in the early episodes of that series. Following a tip from Kara, we went to search Acton Manor, a half-day's ride from the city. Underneath the ruined house, we found a maze-like undercroft. Amid the subterranean twists and turns, Fen and Aramil split from the group and were overcome by phase spiders. When we caught up, Fen was nowhere to be found. Only his severed arm remained. From this point, Fen's adventures continue in the Shadows campaign. We rescued Aramil, but he suffered from a seemingly incurable, debilitating venom. Wrapped up amid the spider's webs with Aramil, we found another survivor. The elven wizard, Varus Laedon. Deeper within the depths of the Undercroft, we found Grimshaw bandits beginning to gather. We killed most of them and took one prisoner. We convinced them to lead us to where Dakin was. In Rithlandir, a former elven temple now used by the Grimshaw, 
we discovered our prisoner intended to leave us into a trap in this treetop fortress. As we made our way up through the old temple, we discovered another surprise. Held prisoner in the heart of the fortress was a Glarion, one of the ten champions. A Glarion, an archdruid, was only alive after all these thousands of years because of his connection with the planet and the life song. Once freed, he told us about the larger plan behind the Grimshaw. For several millennia, a group known as the Eternal Watch had ensured that the people of Arya knew nothing of the Shroud. The Shroud was a magical field that kept Arya isolated from the world beyond the Great Sea. The Shroud had been created by and continued to be powered by six Gesh, Guardians of the Life Song. Except Eglarion said the Gesh had been corrupted. They were convinced that the people of Arya were a threat to all life. They had used almost all their power to imprison Arya. In an effort to maintain the Shroud and the secrecy around it, Dakin and the Grimshaw had been hunting the legendary Crucius, which had recently begun to resurface. We agreed to help Eglarion to set things right, freeing Arya by bringing down the Shroud and defeat the Gesh. Atop Rithrandir, we confronted and finally bested Dakin. Amid several small buildings atop the temple, we discovered a map with strange symbols hinting at Dakin's intentions for numerous cities across Arya. We also found one of the legendary Crucius, a Glarion spear, Amahir. It was drained of its lifesong energy. Emboldened by our new purpose, we set out to leave Rithrandir only to find that the temple, and us along with it, had been teleported to the land of the Fae. There we met a talking green fox with a peacock's tail who seemed to know far more about us than anyone should. We helped this Garth destroy a pixie bell in exchange for help reaching the Summer Court and a way back to our own realm. En route to the Summer Court, a magic sword bewitched Malkin and led him to the lair of a black dragon. Slaying the beast seemed to free him from the sword's enchantment, and we were able to make our way to the Summer City. After some shopping in the wondrous fairy marketplace, and an incident of gnome trafficking in exchange for a pet kraken for Thorina, followed by a daring rescue and escape mission, we presented ourselves to Titania, the Summer Queen. She agreed to grant us one favor, getting home, in exchange for completing the Beltane tradition of traversing the Well of the Moon. Faced with some difficult choices, alternate realities, and a fight against mirror images of ourselves, we emerged victorious and won our way home. For more about each individual's trials in the Well of the Moon, check out the characters' backstory episodes, which will be released in the coming weeks. Before leaving the Feylands, Garth revealed they had been hiding as a member of the Summer Court, a crystal dragon and soothsayer to the Summer Queen. As a farewell, Garth gave the companions magical brooches that allowed them to communicate telepathically with each other. Garth also gave the following warnings. Beware the heralds of the Magnum Inominendum. They seek likeness to bring new life to the Devourer. Trust fully the Zephyr Aspect. In Skyhold, the House of Diomedes seeks the mate to the Storm Warden's certainty. Seek not redemption in the Room of a Thousand Fountains. The Wolf of Brightblade bears its teeth on the flock of Arya. And when the heir of Nilo faces the darkest hour, do not let one stand against the shadows. Some of you will recognize that last one from the Shadows campaign. Upon returning home, our nickname, now cemented by a long absence, we found that three years have passed, and much has changed in the mortal realm. 
The Grimshaw were destroyed by the Cerulean Suns, but only after a sneak attack on the tower decimated the Ceruleans. The Cerulean leadership, still shaken by the Grimshaw attack, are skeptical of the Wayward Suns' explanation of the Gesh, the Shroud, and Aglirion. Mikhail Xavier, an old friend whose life we saved during the war, now sits on the council and says he may be able to convince the others to help. However, if we can find proof, it would go a long way to changing the council's mind. In aid of that end, Xavier arranged to have us assigned to the Donrose, the first airship built by the Cerulean Sons. Under probation, we followed the Donrose's established trade route and began searching for Aglirion, the Eternal Watch, or clues to their efforts. Our direct line of questioning in search of Aglarion or the Eternal Watch led us face to face with one of the Eternal Watch leaders, Raphael. He showed us the dead bodies of everyone we had spoken to about the Eternal Watch. He then promised to kill anyone else we talked to in order to keep the Watch a secret. Raphael then told us our quest was not that different from his own, and he offered to let us join the Eternal Watch. We declined. More mindful of the methods of our investigation, we followed a tip to Sinashore in hopes of meeting with Lawmaster Kerad Dodaraleth. Finding out that a reception for tournament champions is essentially the reclusive Lawmaster's only public appearance, we entered Sinashore's Vitari tournament. We acquitted ourselves well enough that even though we failed to win the Grand Melee, we earned invitations to the champions' reception and arranged a meeting with the Lawmaster. The Loremaster told us about an ancient text from the time of the War of the Champions. He has spent several centuries trying to decipher it, a feat that would have been the work of minutes if he had a cipher stone. It turns out that he knows a dwarf in Hammerfall who is supposed to have such a stone. We would just need to convince him to let us borrow it. Instead, having finally made contact with Glirion, we flew north to Gunhaga to meet up with the Druid. We told him what happened to us in the Feywild, he told us that he was gathering druids to a new circle, and that they were helping him scour the land for potential leads on the Eternal Watch and Crucius. Our discussion was interrupted when Aglirion's camp was attacked by Centauri riders from Gunhaga. The druids were scattered or slaughtered, and Aglirion urged us to flee. We did so, following a lead one of his druids had supplied. It led us back to the Tomb of the Elder King, where we had our first adventure as Cerulean Sons. Using four staves we found on our first visit, we uncovered a series of hidden chambers underneath the main tomb. In those rooms, we discovered an elaborate shrine to the god of empathy and endurance, who is also known to some as the god of suffering. We made our way through a grueling series of trials designed to test our physical fortitude and threshold for pain. Finally, we proved ourselves worthy through a test that left Elemen's right hand crippled. At the heart of the tomb, we discovered the truth to the identity of the mysterious Elder King. He was none other than legendary champion Cantor Declan, and upon his sarcophagus, we found his legendary Crucius, the shield known as Fanroth, the infinite struggle. Next, we headed to Hammerfall to get the Cypher Stone for the Loremaster. We found Hammerfall deserted, and the population moved deeper underground into an inverted tower known as the Cascade an underground city built around a giant mine shaft that extended more than three miles into the earth. After dealing with the incredible levels of bureaucracy, we received permission to visit the lower levels of the Cascade, where our dwarf contact was working. 400 stories below the surface, we found that the dwarf research station had been overrun by plants and that no people seemed to be alive. 
Inside, we find clues and a few samples of something called the glutton maw, a green liquid that when exposed to air causes explosive plant growth. We figured out why it is called the glutton when our tour guide was exposed to a drop of the stuff and was consumed in seconds and a flurry of vines grew from where his corpse was. To further test a theory, Varys tried to use magic on the glutton only to discover it could feed on the magic as well. The glutton consumed Varys's hand before I cut it off and saved his life. We went on to find a small dwarven girl who appeared to be lost and alone. We eventually discovered she was actually a member of a race of humanoid plants who were created and cruelly experimented on in the station. But we didn't figure this out before we killed many of her people as they tried to comfort her. The girl and her people were immune to the glutton, and we were able to convince them to help us rescue the dwarf and his cypherstone. Though we left knowing that she and her people would not treat us as friends should we see them again. Back in Sinithshore, while the Loremaster used the Cypherstone to translate his book about the Champions and the Crucius, we were confronted and attacked by members of the Eternal Watch. The fight was interrupted by Raphael, who called off the surviving members of the Watch. He again tried to convince us that his work with the Eternal Watch was for the best of everyone in Arya, reiterating that by finding and destroying the Crucius, Arya could be saved without destroying the Gesh. He once again offered to have us work with him, and once again we declined. The Loremaster discovered in his text a promising lead, that one of the legendary champions was rumored to have joined up with the Wild Hunt. If that were true, Igraine Vanguind could still be alive, traveling with the immortal hunters throughout all the realms and planes of existence. And if she's still alive now, she may have her Crucius. The Wild Hunt calls the Feylands home, and so our best bet to contact them was to travel there. Again. Using our gifts from our first trip to the Feywild, we returned directly to the Summer City. Our first, and potentially only, stop was to find Garth, and seek their advice for finding the Wild Hunt. As usual, Garth's advice was both helpful and ridiculous. The helpful part boiled down to us proving we were hunters worthy of audience with the Wild Hunt. So we gathered supplies and set out in the direction of the Stormlands, where Garth said we could find creatures known as dinosaurs. Bringing one of them back, dead or alive, would almost certainly prove our mettle. On our travels to the Stormlands, we came across the Tower of the Plucked Eye. It, and its champion, guarded a bridge that appeared to be the only way over an abyss. Malkin defeated the Weapon Master, only to find out it meant he was now the champion of the Tower, and bound to service until he was defeated. Malkin made a deal to have the former champion serve in his stead for a time. The former champion agreed on condition that Malkin pluck out his eye and give it to the champion. Malkin agreed. Finally in the Stormlands, a valley full of floral large enough to make giants feel like halflings, we began to track a large carnivorous dinosaur. With teamwork and incredible timing, we easily slew what we would later learn was called a Tyrannosaurus Rex. On our way out of the valley, our kill was stolen and Thorina was captured by a tribe of storm giants. Our initial rescue attempts went awry. We saved Thorina, but lost our dinosaur. We escaped only by using our portal keys to return to the Summer City. Back in the Summer City, we made a deal with the Kenku hunter, Glorious Purpose. Glorious provided us with information and a special cream to protect us from the petrifying effects of our next prey a bird whose feathers turned all it touched to stone. When we returned to the Summer City, having successfully hunted the stone bird, we sought out an agreed-upon refund from Glorious. What followed involved a pair of squabbling goblins, 
a series of unfortunate events, the resolution of a loophole-heavy Fey contract, the wayward sons feeling robbed, the murder of Gloria's purpose, and the arrest of our heroes. This is where our story truly begins. Our heroes will stand trial before the judgment of a tribunal of Archfey. This is where our story begins. It is also where our story could just as easily end. Join us next time for the trial of the Wayward Sons. Thank you for joining in our wild endeavors. And thank you to Kevin McLeod for the great music. Song titles are available in the show notes. Now that you know how the Wayward Sons got to where they are, you can jump right into episode one and enjoy it just a little bit more. New full episodes will be released every other Wednesday with interlude episodes featuring bits of lore, other adventures around Arya, or a glimpse at some of what is happening in the background as our heroes focus on the task at hand. Until then, make sure you're taking care of yourself so that you can enjoy the adventures life has to offer, and so that you can join us again for more Wild Endeavors.